Music there from Judith Ring's Everything Was Asleep As If the Universe Was a Vast Mistake, composed for the National Symphony Orchestra as part of CMC's Composer Lab concert in January of this year. I'm Jonathan Grimes and this is Amplify 81 and I'm joined once again by CMC Director Yvonne Ferguson. Hi Yvonne. Hi Jonathan. So this episode is very much about some of CMC's recent work. We'll be hearing about our Composer Lab project with the National Symphony Orchestra shortly but we begin with another event which also took place in January in Belfast. What a special evening of music and chats about music at the Belfast launch of CMC's latest promotional release, New Music, New Ireland 4. It was an evening of celebration, wasn't it, Jonathan? A celebration of composers and contemporary music from the island of Ireland, presented in partnership with our Belfast partners, Moving On Music, and in the wonderful space that is the Mac in central Belfast. I suppose you could say that contemporary music really took over the Mac for the evening because the event had capacity, attendance and audience. And we were particularly chuffed to have the chance to have a launch showcase in Belfast given the wealth of northern talent on the release and following on from the international launch at Huddersfield Contemporary Music Festival in November and at our headquarters on 19 Fishamble Street in Dublin at the CMC Sectoral Christmas Party in December. So the Belfast launch was a really great chance to bring the sector from across the island together for a showcase and to meet so early on in the new year. So let's hear some highlights from this event. You'll hear from composers Amy Rooney, Karen Power, Ian Wilson, John Buckley, Pierce Hallowell, Judith Ring and Anselm MacDonald, along with music from Lena Andonoska, Robert Finnegan and Martin Johnson. You're so warmly welcome to this evening's Belfast launch showcase of New Music New Ireland for the latest promotional release from the Contemporary Music Centre. I'm Yvonne Ferguson. I'm joined It sort of got me thinking at the time when I was writing it, we were all at home, we were in lockdown, everything was quiet and it just dawned on me it was like the rat race that we were all in beforehand, before Covid and um, if you look closely at your morning run, if you're in that sort of 8.30 session, every day is slightly different, it feels the same, but if you sort of took a bird's eye view every day, there's different cars beside you, you're maybe a minute early one day, you're maybe running late one day, and I just, I thought that Stockman's Lane summed it up, because if you're coming into Belfast, anyone who knows Stockman's Lane knows it's just high stress. field recording for over a decade and it started with electroacoustic so it started recording instruments it pretty much features in all of what I do now in some shape or form the pieces that you hear on the CD they are totally unedited field recordings so they have not been messed with in any way 
Um, I think two of them were originally made as ambisonic recording, so they've been reduced down to stereo for the CD. But beyond that, they've just been like topped and tailed, right? So extracted from something longer. Whereas most of my work, I um, so uh, I call it composing with field recording. So you're kind of you know you're you're playing with that notion of what is a field recording and what is place, and then how much of that can you remove? That would still be interesting for a listener to sort of connect it with a musical instrument, right? So how do you marry human with nature? been the new Grange a few times and um, we um, boldly just asked the OPW could we get in the new Grange and do some recording uh, and somehow they said yes so one June morning in 2018 I turned up Robert turned up as well and uh, they let us in before the crowds we just went in I told Robert I had my recorders set all over the place I said okay play this over there Robert and do this so I basically recorded Robert playing in new Grange and so I was recording all these basically um, sound samples, which then I, I edited down afterwards into the soundtrack. And it's just supposed to be, I suppose, uh, evocative of this space, this idea of some, some length of history that we can't really comprehend. It's so long ago, you know. did well to get permission to record in, in Newgrange. I, I'm very charming. Uh, I, I, I know that. <laughs> I, well, how, how else would you say that? <laughs> Celtic mythology has been a source of influence to me and on my music from sometime in the mid-70s, not on a consistent basis, but cropping up now and again. So when Robert Finnegan approached me with the idea of creating a modern view of ancient Ireland featuring saxophone, <coughs> the idea of Louth legend struck me. In particular, as Robert hails from the town of RD, which is, I'm sure you know, is in County Louth, and it's surrounded by by the great legends of Celtic mythology. Uh, the piece could be played if you happened to have, heaven forbid, seven saxophonists available in the one place. <clears throat> so generally we don't. <clears throat> However, Robert has already pre-recorded six saxophone parts, um, which are relayed over the speakers, and he played the seventh part um, live against that. <laughs> I'm not specifically interested in electroacoustic music. However, I am interested in studio techniques and in particular the overdubbing of just live instruments. So there are no electronic changes here. They're just seven saxophones at its maximum depth that are playing. Could be played live, as I said, seven saxophonists available. 
The CMC might organize that. <laughs> <laughs> It's a set of two pieces, and they come from the opposition in the title, and it's not the first time I've done that. A Freeze and a Litany is a line from a poem by um, McCaig, Norman McCaig, Scottish poet, from a poem, a poem called uh, A Man in Ascent. But it wasn't the poem, but the line that, that was involved for me, because a freeze and a litany seem to be in opposition. So a freeze is obviously static around uh, the walls, maybe a Greek temple or something where everybody's aspect is frozen, as, as Keats noted. Uh, a litany, you know, is a prayer and seems to me to have momentum. You also use a, ch a tuning fork in, 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 in a... Th yeah, I wouldn't give away kind of too much, but I mean... Sorry. Just, well, no, it's just... It's just a sound to me. It's yeah. an extension of the cello. The trouble is when you kind of highlight these things, people start thinking, what's he doing? What's that? You know? And I'm more interested that they hear it as just an extension of the sound world, but I do, yeah. But I mean, tuning forks and instruments go together, I thought. At least I thought they did. Martin says nobody uses them anymore, so <laughs> this is the last gasp for the tuning fork. If not, <laughs> cello shows no sign of going out of fashion. the cello just kind of blossomed over the years so I started <coughs> learning with Martin and uh, Martin was very interested in, in collaborating with me on, on writing a set of pieces so I thankfully uh, was lucky enough to get a bursary from the Arts Council to work on a, a set of solo cello pieces with him. We recorded them and brought out a, a CD last February so this piece on the CD is Invisible Scamper and it's part of a five-piece suite called Wildwood the idea of the piece is, is that it's that you're alone in the forest and the different stages of the, the day, uh, how, how you feel when you're alone in this immersive, awe-inspiring uh, landscape. Um, and Invisible Scamper is the last one where it's dark and the little creatures coming out. But the, also, the wild, wild wood meant, you know, was about the cello itself, because it's a wild, to me, it's a wild piece of wood. You know, it's, a, it's really, uh, there's so much that can be expressed through it. So it was kind of a double meaning. Thank you. 
how important is it for you as a um, you know young uh, composer having high quality recordings of your work uh, out there, so to speak? Yeah, I, I think it's really important um, for for a couple of different reasons. I mean, one, as a composer, I feel you you can appreciate more about your piece when you have a high quality recording of it. There's you know there's some pieces I've written, and I kind of think, oh, it's like is this not a good piece because I recorded it on my phone, you know, and it sounds terrible. Um, and, you know, maybe there wasn't much rehearsal time or anything, but when there's, you know, when there's a recording and kind of everything's done to a high quality, I think it showcases the piece in the best light. So if it still sounds to you like a bad piece, then you know that it's a bad piece. Um, so it, I really appreciate that kind of, I've learned a lot from being in the recording studio and working with musicians in, in that way. The ending of the third movement of Anselm MacDonald's Three Words for Light, performed by Martin Johnson at CMC's New Music New Ireland 4 launch event at the Mac in Belfast. Our thanks to all the performers and composers who took part and to our partners moving on music. Next, we feature conversations with the three composers who took part in the Composer Lab project, Sean O'Dala, Judith Ring and Adam McCartney. And Yvonne, Composer Lab is yet another initiative that was delayed countless times by COVID. So it was it was really great to finally have the concert performance and live broadcasts of these pieces back in January. Yeah, I think I'm not alone in saying, Jonathan, that when Paul Herriot of RT Lyric FM walked out onto that stage of the National Concert Hall to present the live broadcast and I realised these works and this performance was now on air and in front of a live audience, it was just a huge sense of joy and relief that the composers were at last hearing their new works and bringing them to audiences. For Sean, Judith and Adam, well, their Composer Lab journey started back in early 2020 with the first mentoring session here in CMC with David Fennessy. And soon after, of course, we hit the first lockdown. And after thinking through numerous alternatives that might be possible, all the partners took a, a unanimous decision to, to pause the project until the full forces of the NSO were available again and and not to lose sight of the aims of the project because it's the access to those full forces that makes Composer Lab so unique and so special and, and so important in the development of the skill and practice of the participating composers. Composer Lab's one of our flagship professional development programmes and it's in partnership with the NSO and, and with RT Lyric FM 
and under the direction of, of mentor composer David Fennessy, composers get the chance to engage with the National Symphony Orchestra o- over almost a year for sectional workshops, 2D workshops, rehearsals, uh, all in the creation of a new orchestral work that then receives a live performance and live broadcast and all mentored and guided and encouraged by David Fennessy. So let's hear now from the three composers and Composer Lab mentor, David Fennessy. Hi, I'm Sean O'Dolla. I'm a composer from Kerry. So Sean, tell me about your piece for Composer Lab. It's going to be performed or premiered this evening in front of an audience and also broadcast as well on RT Lyric FM. Yeah, so my piece is called Ikruf Sudir, meaning I call to you. And it's a reference to a Bach organ prelude um, of almost the same name. The full name is Ikruf Sudir, Herr Jesu Christ. My piece is literally a transcription of that organ piece for the orchestra but transcribed as if it was being heard through a broken radio, um, which I did have the experience of sometime during the pandemic, which is when this project started, because I was experimenting with radios at home a lot. I had this experience of hearing an organ piece badly tuned into the setup I had from somewhere on the other side of the world. I think it was a radio station in Argentina, actually. It wasn't a Bach organ piece. I have no idea what it was, but it was just an organ piece not tuned in correctly. Like I wasn't tuned in correctly to it. So you have this like strange artifacts and harmonies coming through. So basically that's what I did. Uh, I transcribed that experience literally and kind of more laterally also conceptually uh, for this piece for the orchestra. So it dictated the chords, harmonies, etc. And also the percussion players are playing three FM radios in the space. How much that that whole uh, experience of writing a piece during the pandemic and that kind of idea, how much was it informed by the different circumstances that we lived through? I mean, because of COVID, the project took a long time from when we were starting. It was just before COVID. I'm pretty sure one of our first meetings for the project that I got the train back down to Kerry, where I was living at the time, after the meeting, I'm pretty sure that was the last time I was in Dublin before any before the lockdowns. Yeah, so it, it's been a long time in motion, this project, which means for me, the piece was written probably three times to say there was an original idea, original piece, which was fleshed out a bit. And then time passed, uh, deadlines faded into the distance and, the, you know, the workshops were prolonged or uh, postponed. I mean, so the piece 
kept changing. That was an interesting, sometimes frustrating, but also interesting process to like be able to just keep thinking about the same material for a long time and changing it over and over, which definitely was interesting. If I look at the, if I look at the piece actually now, if I listen to it, you could say, I mean, my piece is about translation and mediation, hearing something being broadcast over the radio, not quite hearing it, quote unquote, correctly as it was intended, let's say, um, is obviously focusing on mediation, which is, you know, we were all stuck in our houses and our rooms. Everything was mediated through technology. But this wasn't in my mind during the thing. Like it's very, it's it's easy to look at this, look back at it and say, like, I don't want to say this is a, a COVID piece, but it kind of looks like that from this vantage point. Yes, I guess for me, it was always about my overarching interest is always in uh, translation and mediation in general. So. have to ask you about Bach and the fact that you've chosen that particular piece by Bach. I didn't quite ever like go down the route or like going on the route of performing. For me, uh, music was always this thing I had as an internal experience growing up in a rural area, you know, just sitting in the house on your own, playing an instrument on your own. This was always my primary experience of music. Years later, years and years later, when I started playing the lute suite, transcriptions for guitar, yeah, that music became really important for me. For me, how difficult it was for me to play. It was this real internal figuring out a puzzle kind of like experience. That was when I became obsessed with his music because of this like internal quality I, I get from it. Another reason though why this piece, specifically this organ piece, for me, it's totally taken as a reference from uh, Tarkovsky's Solaris, where it's used uh, in the soundtrack and also undergoes this kind of translation, uh, reorchestration, mediation process in that soundtrack. So for me, that's actually probably more of the reference as well, because yeah, in that film, it, the way the Bach is used, it kind of like signals memory in that, in that film. I was thinking a lot about when I was trying to dig this musical material out of the radio, searching for it on these amateur radio setups, it kind of, these kind of felt like memories, distant memories. My name is Judith Ring and yeah, I'm a composer. So Judith, tell me about your piece uh, for Composer Lab. The piece I've written is very much inspired by 
the chaos in the world today. <laughs> it could be taken in many different ways, but my visual cue behind it is uh, nature reclaiming the earth after the humans have wiped themselves out. The strength and power of nature to revive or kind of yeah reclaim the land from the man-made structures and buildings and tear them all down and become one beautiful natural landscape again you know how do you go about sort of translating that sort of idea you know into an orchestral piece well i've written a piece before based on creepers and kind of nature again swells and shoots which is a cello and viola piece i've kind of just expanded upon that idea in a way like just thinking about instruments crawling along or kind of like there's there's a force behind them an energy that of, of growth as the piece goes on and develops yeah how they all kind of interweave with each other and kind of tangle and get caught up with each other and but ultimately build into something very strong and destructive. That kind of experience of, of writing for orchestra, I mean, if you were to say one thing that you kind of learnt or experienced through that whole process that you'll take with you, so to speak, just in general, I mean, what, what would that be? Yeah, basically what I would take away from it is I learned every, every piece I write, I, I've realised that you have to write for who you're writing for if that makes sense. So what I learned from the orchestra was that to keep things very straightforward and clear and very not simple musically, but simple to get across to a large amount of people. So I didn't, you know, do my usual thing of massive amounts of graphics in my scores and, uh, you know, very kind of deep textual um, involvement. But uh, I just changed my way of writing to allow for a very kind of direct um, communication with the orchestra. You know, it sounds to me that you have to be kind of pragmatic when you're when yeah. you're approaching writing for orchestra. Yeah, well, I think I got a good advice from some musicians and other composers along the way to keep it simple. But and, and I don't mean that in that, like, obviously, the orchestra of professional musicians, they're incredible, but um, simple in that it works as a whole and it doesn't cause, you know, very difficult rehearsal scenarios where you're stuck kind of trying to figure out what, what it should sound like. It's best to clearly state what's needed in the score.
I'm Adam McCartney. I'm one of the composers taking part in the Composer Lab. It is the year 2023. <laughs> We're finally having the concert of what started in 2019, just before the COVID lockdowns. So we've been postponed and postponed and we're quite happy to be finally uh, at the stage of having the pre-pieces performed and yeah, feeling good about tonight. Tell me about this piece. And as you said, you started writing it in probably about 2020 or thereabouts. I actually settled on the core material for the piece, like say harmonically and melodically quite early on in the process. Like there was uh, just kind of sketched out a page of stuff that I was interested in kind of playing around with. I tend to have like an approach that's kind of quite modular, like I'll pick out material and then I'll pick out kind of rhythmical kind of motifs or almost like sort of templates and then use the material to sort of fill out those templates not really knowing how the permutations of the material then will end up sounding like so you have some sort of an idea as to what will work well together and you might pick out a couple of different modes that you want to use for transpositions and things like that the, so the piece is, is called marina which is irish for meditation so i was kind of just interested in these quiet worlds where you're sort of quite focused on fairly reduced set of material quite ironically i found myself particularly like in the process of making the parts in that in in may just running out of steam in terms of concentration and just like having like massive concentration lapses and just like letting all sorts of mistakes kind of creep in. With an orchestra, there's lots of parts to make, you know, and there's so many chances to make mistakes. The other thing that I'm doing is using a program called Lillipond to, to typeset it, which it doesn't have necessarily, you know, very clear inbuilt ways to generate the parts and things like that. So, I mean, it gives, it opens up some interesting possibilities to you, like for me, for instance, if you're working in a kind of a modular way, it's it's very easy to model different types of structure. You can try different material or, or different patterns together quite easily, which sort of more graphical based, you know, editors won't let you do that. If you're working with kind of plain text, it's easier to sort of swap, swap, swap stuff in and out. Like you can edit whole files at once and things like that. So. What I always aim for in terms of resolution, in terms of definition on a, a page of sheet music is I, I don't go big into various forms of extended notation where they have to kind of read appendices and things like this. My basic kind of philosophy is like, well, OK, look, they've trained for 20 years to learn how to deal with music in the Western classical tradition. So I want to present it in a way that they can kind of like look at a page of music and say like, OK, after five minutes this is like clearly understandable to me now I can bring my musicality to bear on it and so I'm very interested in that space between like definition and a musician's own musicality for me like I wouldn't be a terribly accomplished musician as a player like it took me ages years and years to learn how to sight read properly and 
um, you know, something would have struggled with for ages. But like, I love that space when you really, when you really know a piece and you can kind of like play with it. Like, that's a really interesting space. Like, you know, after you've done the, the however many thousand repetitions of a thing that you can kind of really perform it and play it and listen to it as music or hear it as music. So I'm very interested in like trying to open up a space in a new piece where that can kind of take place, where you're not presenting like a totally foreign language to a set of musicians, but you're saying like, look, we, we're all speaking the same language. Like, I want to hear what you have to say with this particular set of, you know, phrases or whatever, you know, and I'm very interested in that idea, like just letting musicians kind of come into the room and do their thing, like, you know. <laughs> David Fennessy, you are the mentor composer of the project Composer Lab and I'm delighted that you're joining me here for this little chat about the participants for the Composer Lab 2022. So for you as the mentor composer, like it has been a really long journey and you've had to keep these composers kind of going. It's kind of you to say, but I think it's much harder for them than it has been for me. I tried to make myself available when they needed me. And I think halfway through the project towards quite a good bit into the pandemic, and we decided that the ways to try and make this thing happen, there was talk of trying to get the orchestra to be a from a triple wind orchestra to a double wind orchestra. And then at one point we were talking about a single wind orchestra and that it kind of it was shrinking and shrinking and that people would be zooming in. And I think there was a point where we, well, not quite, but looked at each other and said, this is no longer the project that everybody signed up for because the whole idea is to be in the room with these sounds and getting your hands dirty with with this kind of monster that is orchestra. And that's when I think, so we suspended things for a while. And actually, I think since then and after there was a long pause and then when the composers picked them up again, the music changed too, because there's obviously going to be a reflection on what has happened, what's important, what you wish to express. And then all of just the, the personal things that happen in people's lives. So I think these pieces, in a way, are three very different expressions of the passing of that time for me some are really to do with time passing i would say some it's kind of a, a certainly a, a motif i think in these pieces the passage of time and you know sean's piece um ich ruf zu dir is really a frozen moment i think it's a kind of it's a it's a split second which is frozen and stretched in a very beautiful way i think adam mccartney's piece marana i think deals with repetition with very slight changes coloristic changes in a kind of very painterly way so for me that's also got to do with how time works in music there's actually 
there's quite there's not very much information in the piece in terms of like you know lots and lots of different ideas and things coming they're very concentrated and it's like a still life and judith's piece everything was asleep as if the universe was a vast mistake it's really got to do with we're th- talking about time in terms of eons projecting into the future um time in terms of ages and you know kind of a projection of where we might be so i think in a way, I feel like this, whether consciously or not, I feel like the composers have really actually dealt with this passage of time in, in the fabric of the music that they've made. Judith rings, everything was asleep, as if the universe was a vast mistake. The National Symphony Orchestra and conductor Gavin Maloney. That's all for this week. We'll be back again soon with more conversations with Irish composers and musicians. Until then, thanks for listening.